Welcome to the Men on Purpose podcast, featuring dynamic conversations with emerging and established visionary men on purpose. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate the men on purpose who are committed, creative, courageous change makers, living their best, most fulfilling life possible. Now, here's the host of Men on Purpose, Ian Lobos. All right, here we go. I almost said Rockstar Nation. You know that? I'm looking at your face and I almost said Rockstar Nation. That is so, <laughs> so good. This, this is the Men on Purpose podcast. You're not in Rockstar Nation, but we're talking to Real Estate Rockstar Nation. It's, it's new host, my good friend, Aaron Amuchastegui. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got it, man. You nailed, That's how you know you're a good friend or not. If you can right? say my last name, you know, <laughs> then you know who I am. And if you want to know what we're talking about, Google Aaron and, um, and look at how his last name is spelled and you'll be like, what the hell? Okay. It's a Muchastegi. But so yeah. I want to jump right into this because this is, this is going to be a really detailed and deep episode because Aaron and I have known each other for, I don't know, five, six years, something like that. And our paths, are, are, we met five years ago in Tahoe and our paths keep crossing and we're going to, we're going to unravel that and show you the power of networking and mastermind groups and asking questions and just being curious and, and just kind of going for what you want. So let's jump in. Let's just rock this thing out of a podcast that I, a podcast that I used to host called real estate rock stars. And it's so interesting because last week when we were recording together, I'm looking at you and I'm like, wow, this is, this is so neat. Like, how our paths have crossed again. So let's go back to the beginning real quick. We met in Tahoe at a mastermind event. And I want to give detail because Kalina outed you a couple years ago when we were all together at, in our, with our families. I was terrified to talk to anybody. I felt insecure. I felt alone. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And it turns out that you were the person sitting in front of me that I kind of was like, I should probably talk to. And I was on the phone with my wife saying this. And then it turns out that you were kind of thinking the same thing and on the phone with your wife in the same mode. And then we met in this little Starbucks and kind of the rest is history. But like, start there. Like, what were you, what, what brought you to that event? And why aren't you a guy that just can network like everybody tells you to? Like, just go work a room, like do your thing. Why can't you do that? Or why haven't you been able to do that? Yeah. You know, it really, it is, it's so fun to be on here, man, to get to talk on your podcast. I think it's, it's so awesome. You've got this new podcast you're going and getting to talk about like the, you know, the way the world works and, you know, and networking and kind of life and always being able to find, you know, the plan of all of it is super, super cool. You know, many, so many years ago we are, um, yeah, you went to this mastermind. Now we have to back up a little bit. To be, so I was, I did a lot of real estate, you know, I was, I was flipping a lot of houses. I had built these giant businesses like from 2009 to 2012, absolutely crushed it financially. Yes. You know, family was, was like falling apart, lost a bunch of money in 2013, was kind of resetting. And so in 2014, I had just kind of started to get my legs again, where I started to find a little bit of success. My dad had passed away and I was trying to figure out what was next. I was trying to like, I was trying to better my life. I didn't really have many options. And I was kind of coming out of the spot where I had a little bit of hope, 
but I also didn't quite know what was next. And, the, and I had seen some like things on Facebook, you know, from a, from a friend of mine, it was uh, my buddy, Matty A kept posting pictures of this mastermind he was going to, and he's posting pictures of these guys doing this cool stuff. I'm like, you know, skiing and playing football and, and had like Robert Kiyosaki was a speaker. Yep. And it was going to be Robert Hershevik as a speaker. And I remember like seeing that sign up and going and talking to my wife. I want to say it was like $3,000 to go to the event. And at that time, that seemed crazy to me. Yeah. It was a crazy amount of money to go to an event. I had like heard of Tony Robbins and that was about it. So that was what I had pictured in my master in my mind was that. So I told my wife, Hey, I think I need something new and I kind of want to go to this thing, but I'm super nervous about it. But you know, but like Robert Hershevik's going to be there. You know, there's all these different things going through my head. Since so she encouraged me to do it, especially it was also a lot of money too at the time because I was just starting to rebuild my businesses, yeah. but I I was really nervous. I wasn't, uh, you know, I hadn't been to things like that before. I didn't know what it was going to be like. And showing up the first day, it was kind of, you, you know, you sit at a table and I didn't know anyone there. No one actually like, you know, introduced me, brought me in. So yeah. I, got, I sat down at a table and was like, whoever that you're matched with. And so there started to be speakers. Now that was easy. Watching speakers speak is easy. But then they started saying like, all right, now, now talk to the person next to you and ask them what they got <laughs> out of that. And what are their goals and what are they going to do? And I'm like, wait a second, I want to like go to a class Right. I don't want to do this big, you know, interaction thing. I didn't want to do the jumping up and down and getting uncomfortable. And, and now, and now, you know, I'm a totally different guy, like right. into that stuff. And now I go to the events and I'm, and I'm dancing in the front and I'm jumping around and I'm being super outgoing, but it was something that changed in me. And yes. So, and at that time I still wasn't sure I was in the right place. I was still like, man, did I just waste 3000 bucks coming up here? I got to start having some really cool conversations, but I was still pretty nervous. And yeah, it was the first day you and I were like on coffee break. And we kind of knew we were in the same place. And then we started sharing a few different things. And then we started getting more confident with going, you know, Hey, I, well, I, I used to flip a lot of houses and you're like, Oh, I've, I've done some, I've done some houses and yeah. And, yeah and I, I used to do this. And because at that time too, a lot of it was based on, Hey, I flipped a thousand houses years ago, but, but then I went out into business. And so now I'm starting over. Right. right. My, so my story did not feel as I wasn't as confident with my story. Were you so afraid you of being judged about a, that? I was afraid of being, I think, I think I was afraid of being, I was definitely afraid of being judged. And it was, it's also kind of embarrassing, right? Like sure. you, I made so much money for like four, like four or five years that I should have never had to work again. Yeah. But I didn't know what to do with money. I was stupid. I just lost it all. And so coming back into that was like, and also when you go into places like that, you start hearing other people's story. Oh, I'm worth 5 million bucks. So oh, I'm doing this. So you want to be able to be good enough to be there. Yeah. And you want to feel good enough to be there. And I was in this rebuilding stage. So yes, I got to talk to you. It was, it was very cool to get to start, you know, just interacting with some people and realizing that they felt the same. Um, you know, and after that, I, I think you and I even did a, a video call a couple weeks later when I was yeah. trying to figure out what I was going to do next. If I was going to help people like scale their flipping businesses, I had this software that I was just starting to sell. I that. Now I sell that at a massive scale and through, you know, through my podcast and through some of my other sites. But yeah, it's been in, you know, and it was probably like, you know, then I saw you again the next year and there were different businesses and people that we've crossed paths with along the way. And it's just continued to grow. It's interesting stuff. So I know that there's somebody listening to this. There's always somebody listening. Your podcast and you have a lot of listeners, a lot of downloads. Your podcast, my podcast, podcasts in general, somebody's listening who's going to get something out of this that's like it, it's meant you're meant to talk to this person right now and so i think it's really cool to back up for a second like your past is not illustrious although you just told the audience like you built this business you made a ton of money like your past before that was not shiny it was rough real rough right you want to talk about that for a second like quick 
Yeah. I mean, so we could jump into like, if we want to go all the way back of like ups and downs of life, you know, and I kind of do because it's, it, that's you, man. And that's like, I, I love every bit of, of you and your story. And I think it's interesting for the audience to know if you want to talk about it. Yeah, no, let's, let's yeah. it's also part of how we got, you know, even into our book, it's all tied together. It's how yep. we got successful. Yep. Later. It's all tied to our book. You know, I grew up in a small town in Oregon. The, and you know, it's funny. I went to preschool with 20 kids and in my graduating class of like a hundred, the same 20 kids in preschool were with me. Right. So yes. I grew up in a small town where I didn't have to learn how to really meet people. You know, when I was really young, you know, we, we made friends and we never had to learn how to meet friends again. You know, you know, grew up was voted like most likely to succeed. And I was a valedictorian and I, and I went to the university of Oregon school of architecture and somewhere along the line, I, I wasn't very confident with myself. Right. When I went from high school to college and I didn't really know how to meet people, I really struggled fitting in, started doing a lot of drugs, you know, doing a lot of things I wasn't supposed to be doing. And it was really crazy. And so I was 20 years old, hanging out with the wrong people and the, you know, and, and the long story short, a, a buddy of mine and I, that we were partying with kind of had this bet pseudo slash we were acting crazy slash and the, and we went and gotten ourselves in a lot of trouble. And the, and as I fast forward a bunch, the, I ended up getting charged with armed bank robbery. Right. So 20 years old, charged yes. with armed bank robbery. And I had gone from this small little town to, and, and that's the reality of what happened. My, my buddy robbed a bank. I drove the car. Afterward, you're kind of like, whoa, what just happened? Right. So 20 years old, got myself in just a ton of trouble. And I was supposed to be so good at life. Right. Again, I was, mm-hmm. I was a 4.0 student. I was doing so good. Everybody, everybody was shocked when they found out. Like, oh, Aaron was partying too much. I went and spent a couple years in prison, you know, 20 to 22, Southern California prison. This is from a, a, a kid from a small town in Oregon, a very non-diverse town to a prison in Southern California. Man, my, my life woke up, became very diverse. I had to learn a whole bunch of stuff. And that is where I really became a man. And a couple of, a couple of parts of, of that too, of all that growing up that, I, that had to happen now was I had to you know, learn about other things. But then I also had this, this mindset, like I started like going back to school online, trying to figure out what was next. And it was hitting me like, hey, the a couple prime years of my life, ages 20 to 22, think about what you were doing in those ages. So like some people have stories like mine. Some people have stories where it was like the prime time of their life. They're having so right. much fun. And I was like, man, I lost those two years of my life. So now when I come out, I'm going to try so much harder. I need to make up for lost time. So I came out of there thinking I need to make up for lost time. And the, so then I started you know, going back to college, went to Cal Poly, studying construction management. And I really turned it up because I was a couple years older and I was paying for it myself. And now it was about life was on the line. I was a great student. I was winning at all the things, you know, all the different competitions. And it was a great time to graduate in construction management, height of the housing boom, got into, you know, new homes in 2005. And so that all of a sudden it was like, at that moment, I felt like, oh, I'd done it. I came back out of it. I graduated. I got hired by this home builder. We're golfing a couple days a week. Properties are selling as fast as we could build them. I'm making plus plus six figures at 25. This is awesome. That was 2005. <laughs> 2007 hits and the market's starting to crash. And 2008 yeah. hits and we take pay cuts and we fire 75 people and there's five of us left and we move up to Sacramento, California. And, the, and my wife starts working nights as a waitress at the casino. So we're like, what do we do? We went from she like, preg- she was pregnant, right? And she was pregnant. So yeah. we went from like super low. I'm a, I'm a young kid in prison to super high. Like, wow, I, I found my, found my wife. I graduated from college. I got a great job to housing market started crashing. And we instantly had, we didn't have time to really even think about what's going on. We're like, we just need to pay our bills. Yeah. So she started working as a waitress. 
you know, and it was, and it was, and it felt like it was really overnight. It was like, Hey, things are going okay. And then all of a sudden it was like pay cut in half and, and what are you going to do? So we were, we started trying a bunch of different businesses kind of at that time just to try to make ends meet. We're trying to get into foreclosures. We're trying to get it, you know, being able to buy REOs and things like that. We started discovering courthouse step auctions at that time. Nobody else was doing it. It was a little further upstream uh, for that. We found a way to you know, buy houses directly on the courthouse steps. At that time we could fix them and sell them and make good money. My second daughter was born six weeks early. So at that time I was still working with my old partners. Second daughter was born six weeks early and you know, in the NICU, I remember going in and, and seeing her with that oxygen tube hanging out of her mouth. She's a tiny little baby. And I was just like, this is my fault. Yeah. This is my fault because my wife was a waitress pregnant Stress. at a casino working from 10 at night to three in the morning. Like I would come home, kiss her goodbye. She'd hand me our, our oldest baby and then she'd go to work. And I remember going, this is my fault. I need to do something different. And that was when I you know, kind of made the next step to quit my job, go into business for myself, really go all in at this, you know, foreclosure thing. And then we had a quick rise again. We got super lucky. On the, we had like the next six weeks, I didn't make a single deal. Uh, you know, all the money I had in savings was gone. I told her, hey, I'm going to have to go get a job again you know, God delivered. And then I said, if I don't buy a house this week, I'm going to have to go get a job again. I was able, then I was able to buy a house the next week. And then it was kind of, I'd done a few flips. My dad had talked to a buddy and said, Hey, look what my son is doing. And I had a guy reach out to me and say, Hey, Aaron, um, I run this, you know, I, I trade stocks for people. I manage, you know, funds for people. We want to talk to you. That turned into all of a sudden I left that meeting with a bunch of investments. We went and started over the next few years, bought and sold a thousand houses, flipped a bunch of houses. That's crazy. And so then again, it was this up next rise. Right. I had gone down and then up and then I'm like 20, you know, 26, you know, with a kid and an awesome job and then down like cut in half. My wife's a waitress and then back up. We'd done a ton of houses. We were making a lot of money, but I didn't have a mastermind group. I didn't have a peer group. No one was giving me good advice. So we were very wasteful of our money. I wasn't buying rentals. I wasn't buying investments. <laughs> we were spending it on stupid stuff on, on cars and parties and things like that. And, um, my, you know, my wife was my broker and we, and our, our relationship, we actually like drew apart. The more successful we got, the more I'd be like, Hey, this is my money. And she'd be like, Hey, this is my money. It was just not a way to be doing a life. And the 2013, we got put out of business again. So the, this time Blackstone and all the big hedge funds came in and started buying houses on the courthouse steps. We had really heavy uh, overhead. They had come and talked to me a couple months prior about going, going to work for them. And I remember thinking, you'll never put me out of business. Like I'm already, we're making so much money on commissions and things like that. Like, I'm just not worried about it. I had the warning and I could have done something way different and I didn't. And man, they put me out of business. It was, I definitely learned a lot that time that helped me when COVID hit. So then it was like broke again and then feeling embarrassed <laughs> and thinking, man, I should have been in a place. If I had just kept a hundred of those thousand houses, I'd be set for life. Yeah. So when I, when I finally got that new chance later, the, and I know this is a, a long story of a short story. <laughs> I started focusing on rentals the next time. You know, if, if I ever got another chance, what would I do different? My wife and I, if we ever got a new, another chance, we would give more money to church. We'd do better things with our money. We would invest better. We'd be better stewards. We finally got another chance in 2015, right around the time I joined GoBundance and met you. And so we did it a lot different. Now we give away 30% of our income to charities and things like that. We buy a lot of different rental properties. Now we're at the point where the, when bad things happen, we're, we're set. So we did it much better this time. Right. And family was the thing that the, the biggest thing that I nearly lost in 2013 with all of it was my family. Being broke was bad, but also when we were on the verge of divorce and looking at our kids and feeling like we let them down and feeling like we let each other down and we had the really wrong priorities. 
And so through all the last big down that we had, we really changed our priorities. We started thinking about our kids and family and the things that you can't take away if you go broke. And that was yeah. like experiences. So we changed our mindset to experiences over things and really, you know, change a lot of different trajectories. I love, dude, your story is so important because somebody's out there who's gone. That's not a, that's not an odd cycle. That's not an odd thing to experience the ups and downs, learning, right. understanding. I think we all know those Instagram people or those, you know, those, well, it kind of looks like the person's never failed. And you're like, well, how can I do that? I keep failing, but you, you fail your way to success. It's just, you took your lessons and you leveled up. You took your lessons and you leveled up. I have a similar story. You yeah. know my story. Like, I think like you, the number one thing that I was going to lose in 2015 was my marriage because I was so focused on business and money and cranking back out of the hole that I had dug, you know, with the last business that it was stressful. And then like hearing all the stories at that event and then hearing John Broman speak about family man with a business versus the businessman with a family. It really, it really like registered with me. And so how do you and, and your wife operate now versus before? Like I, I feel your pain. I mean, I'm obviously we're going to talk about your book in a second, but I'm reading in your book, like that part's in there about her going to the casino and, and, and it, it just seems rough, you know? And like what I know of you guys now that's completely different than what you described, but everybody's got to rise. Everybody's got to grow through it. What's the relationship like now with you guys in business together and how does it, how does it work? Yeah. Our balance, you know, and as you get to talk about the rise and the fall and the rise and the fall, I think a good way to think about it is like, look at the stock market over like the last 40 years. Yeah. Totally. Cause you'll see like these rises and yeah. then you'll see it go way down and then you'll see it rise and go way down. But if you look at like today compared to 20 years ago, we're up right? Totally. So we have all these different valleys. So like, even when we go into the valley, we're better off than we were before. We, we say is you've raised the bottom, yeah. like as bad as it can get is this, and then it gets bad. And then as bad as it can get is this. And so each time, even when you lose everything, you're better off because you have the knowledge, you have the relationships, totally. you have the experience that helps you on the next time as, as you rebuild. You know, when I think, when I compare our two relationships, right? So in 2013, we weren't working we had, it's funny when we were like first broke and first married and starting, we were on the same page. It was us against the world. Yeah. And you know, and when we were in debt and trying to pay off credit cards, it was like, we were a team and we had our one kid. And then we were a team when she was working nights at the casino and I was working days, but man, it was miserable. We were just really, really struggling but we were a team. I would come home from work. She would hand me the baby. She would go work at night. So we were like on the same page. One of the worst things that happened to our relationship was then, then we got successful. In our first year of success, we were still a team. It was exciting. We could celebrate together. And then somewhere along the line, we lost our humility. We lost some of that stuff. People would tell her, oh my God, you're so amazing. You're the best agent ever. I just want to do one of your deals. You're like the smartest. You're brilliant. And people tell me, oh, you're brilliant. So we had all these other people like raising us up. Fluffing and then up. when you're, when you have someone else raising you up and then you're in your family and then you're back to like, well, what's next? You know, that's, that created a lot of our conflict. We didn't, we, we stopped being on a team and we started being like, how cool am I? No, how cool am I? Which led to a whole bunch of things, which led to me making a whole bunch of bad decisions that really put my my family in a bad place. And I and I remember, you know, at the end of I think it was 2013, 
and, you know, not sure if we're going to get a divorce and she's looking for apartments to go send me to go live in. Um, and I'm thinking about not spending Christmas with my family and it was hard. Right. And we were like, what, you know, I know that we got it wrong, but what do we do next? Now that building up over the next couple of years was really, really hard because I had done a bunch of bad things where she could have left me and everybody would have been okay with it. And it was not only just being a bad steward of the money, but just being a bad husband and a bad parent and, yeah. and everything. And that took a lot of time to rebuild. And so when, and with that, it was, I was going to church, you know, every week that became my first outlet and she didn't go with me for the first year. And the, and really during that time, she was in a bad place. And so I was, I was taking the kids to school and I was working a job and I was going to church. Like I was, I, it was kind of, she was kind of like, you need to earn me back. Yeah. And so I was having, so I was doing everything and it was really hard. And then somewhere along the line, maybe like a year in, she started going to church with me. We started doing that rebuilding together. And that was hard because sometimes, you know, when you go through problems in a relationship, it's easier just to break up and not have to deal with the problem. Totally. It's actually harder to deal with the problem. But what ended up happening, so we continued to get closer, we continued to, to build up, we continued to learn those lessons and learn forgiveness and, and figure out what's important is these relationships with each other and relationships with our kids. And so now I would say our relationship, it's just like the stock market, right? Now our relationship is so much stronger because we kept going. I tell people like what marriage is really supposed to be about. It's like, no, you just stay married no matter what. Yeah. Because it goes up and it goes down, it goes up and it goes down. And the longer you stay married, if you're focusing on the same thing, it'll just continue to get better. You know each other better. You have those things. And so now we have, um, we have a great relationship where we, where we have kind of our own things that we like to do. Now, when I first started doing deals out in Texas, I said, hey, it was, kind of, it was somewhere around the time I met you. I just started doing good again. At that time, we were homeschooling our kids. We were like traveling the world. Her focus was on the family. Mine was on the business. And I said, hey, I need you to come be my, my agent down in Texas and start working for me again because I'm giving away 20 grand a month in commissions. And she said, Aaron, this was a lesson we learned. I'm not going go to go I'm not going to come work for you again. She smart said, though. I'm going to focus on the family. She was a smart girl. She was brilliant. Yeah, she said, I'm right. not going to come work for you again. I'm going to manage the family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this at home so you can go do your business. But I'm going to support you in your business instead of it being like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe you're going to work. It was like, then she was going to encourage me. She was encouraging me to go fly and go do the deals, go make the things happen. She's like, I got this. I got the family taken care of. Now you go grow the business. And I was like, we can't afford not to. But she was right. By her focusing on the family and me getting to focus on the business, I was able to more than make up for the loss of commissions. And then we, and then we got to stay on the same team. Some husbands and wives can work together in the same business and they do great. It's not, it's not the right balance for us anymore is what we've seen, you know, and through there, and it, and it still happens now, you know, we, we came, we, we ended up writing the book about our homeschool journeys and what's there. And so I love getting to be in, in as much involvement as, as I can, but she is the one that runs that. She's the one that runs our homeschooling and I get to kind of be involved, yeah, you know, yeah. and the, and I run our businesses and now we've got several different businesses of growth, but we do a really good job of staying in our lanes the, there are times when the biggest credit I give to her, when I said, Hey, you got to come be my broker again. And she said, no, for a mom to sacrifice for a mom that's capable of making six figures a year really easily, totally. right? She'd be making a few hundred thousand dollars a year as my aging and no problem. And for her to say, no, instead I'm going to homeschool our kids. And you know, when you're a broker and you're awesome, everyone's telling you, you're freaking awesome. You're so yeah. smart. You're amazing. Let's see how this deal. And when you're a parent, your kids are like, make me a sandwich, right? <laughs> yeah. There's like, no, like, so, so it's like two different lives. You've got somebody telling you how awesome you are or your and kids don't like, they don't always say how awesome you are. So it's like this thankless job. So she was able to see past all that and go, Hey, my ego says being an agent would be way cooler than running our family. Yeah. But financially, 
we actually make more money with her running our family and our kids get so much more out of it. And then the proof gets to be way later on. It's like, instead of her making money as a broker, she's investing in our kids and our legacy. And we'll get to see how that turns out. Dude, she broke the cycle. If you think about it, if she would have come back into business with you in the same capacity, the cycle would have continued. You still have the foundation you know, your hot, your, your low, your lows would have been a lot higher than your lows before, but the cycle would have repeated. But then like you say in your yes. book, and we're going to talk about your book, the biggest things that would have suffered would be the relationship and your children, right? So, I, you know, in reading your book and, and, and FYI audience, I'm not here to pitch Aaron's book. I actually love Aaron's book. Like I, I'm really like my wife and I are reading it together and we are putting this plan into motion. Aaron and his wife, Kalina, are a fantastic model, whether you think so or not, Aaron, you're a fantastic model of a family man, a businessman, like keeping a, 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 a control, but not in like a wacky way, but like a control of like, this is what we feel we want for our kids. This is what our kids say they want. We're going to facilitate that. It's very free flow. It's very organized yeah. flow. And I love it. So dude, I, I, she, she saved the cycle. She stopped it. And that's awesome. And that's the same. You, your life and my life are so parallel it's not even funny with, with being in business. I just don't have as many kids yet. And I say yet because that's yeah, my, goal. you're just on your way. <laughs> my wife might have a different opinion. Yep. Yeah. So dude. Yeah. So you're like, we got to fill eight kids. And that cycle really is it's like a five year cycle. It seemed like every five years there would be a crash, you know, in yeah. a couple, in a year or two at that bottom and then up. But every time the bottom seems small, you get to keep rising and go through it. But yeah, she was the one that broke the cycle. And and through a few crises, and as we came out of the last one, we said, hey, we're going to do it better. We're going to have better values. We're going to keep more stuff important. We're also going to invest better, get our businesses. But so when COVID hit in March, you know, I've got like five or six different businesses. One of my businesses was completely crippled during that time. My other four were strong and made up for it. And we haven't, and we haven't had to worry. We've been super, super lucky uh, during this time, but it was because of like, it was 20 years in the making right? It was 20 right, years exactly. in the making of, of setting that up. And so this time I was actually able to look at the, you know, the coronavirus crisis through a different lens. Last time the housing crisis, I was in the middle of it. Kalina was a waitress. We like, we couldn't breathe. I couldn't actually see what was going on. I couldn't strategically plan. I couldn't actually watch history as it was happening. This time I've been able to sit back and go like, this is really interesting. I can't believe how people are reacting. I've been able to study. I'm a history buff. I love, I love history. And this time I'm getting to experience history. And I'm looking around going, this is what they're going to write books about. Let's just watch it all because totally. the books won't be as accurate as today. So the, yeah, it's crisis is different now as you get to go yep. through it. It's so interesting. So I want to talk about your book for a second. And then I want to talk about the rest of the cycles that you and I have been in together unknowingly just yeah. together. Yeah. Cause I think that's interesting. And I, we talked about it on, on your show, Real Estate Rockstars, and, and we're going to talk about it a little bit here too for the different audiences. But So when I think about school and to our audience right now, whatever you feel about school is, is, is totally your opinion. Just, just be open to what Aaron and I are about to talk about. And it's not even me. It's really Aaron. I'm just prompting some questions and my curiosity. But when I think about school and my daughter who's you know, she'll be five in December. My son is eight, uh, seven months. Like, I'm not worried about him at this point. But my daughter, when I think about her going to, to a traditional school model, it gives me anxiety. 
And I was telling Aaron before we started recording, I used to think that that was really selfish of me to, to try and protect her from her potentially feeling what I felt, the fear, the anxiety, the depression, the, the lost, you know, just vastness of what school was. I just didn't get it. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was a decent student, but I was always the student that they said was a bad kid or would never go anywhere or was defiant or had ADD or couldn't sit still or talk too much in class or whatever it was. And those stereotypes, you know, I had to shake those hard. I do a lot of work in my adult years to shake those stereotypes. And so when I started talking to Aaron and Kalina about this, was that 2017, I think? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I started becoming really interested in this. My daughter was young and I, it wasn't a necessity, but as of recent or as of late, like it's a necessity because our lives are changing. She's getting ready to go to school. That's not something that my wife and I support in terms of the traditional model. And I just want to just kind of start with why wasn't that the direction you wanted to go? And, and what was it that was yeah. like that? And obviously, I know the answer to this because I read your book, but a uh, book's called The Five-Hour School Week, by the way. Um, we'll have it up in our show notes. But what was it that kind of broke the, the camel's back and you guys were like, out, we're out, we're done, let's go. We're not, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. And it really was a straw that broke the camel's back thing yeah. because, because I also was like, hey, I, 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 school's the way that it is. So one thing was like, I couldn't imagine homeschooling. Homeschoolers right. are weird. People that do that are weird. You know, I used to love, I couldn't imagine not going to have my kid go to prom or not going to football games and things like that. It was funny. All the stuff I was really hanging on to <laughs> for the experience that I wanted my kids to have had nothing to do with what they were learning. It had everything right. to do with like the extra stuff that happened at school. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an interesting part of it. You know, we had when my, my oldest was, you know, five or six, like she was in school and we were all in, right? We were all in private Christian school. We made sure they did the reading at night. She'd be at school for eight hours. She'd do a couple hours of homework a night. Like we were in it and we believed they needed to get ahead. We even, man, we even made her go to summer school one year and it wasn't, and she wasn't even behind. It was just so she could kind of stay ahead. Yeah. It was this like demand to do awesome. Right. And it, because we didn't know any better. You know, we didn't know any better and that was the race. That was the race that you see that, hey, your kid has to do good and the teachers are saying, hey, she's reading at a, at a fifth grade level right now, but it'd be really great if she's at a sixth grade level. Mind you, she's a second grader, right? When it's happening, there's just this push. I mean, students are graduating from high school now with 4.5 GPAs. People are, students are killing themselves if they get a B, literally, right? Like that is, that, that is part of the education crisis. So one, part of the education crisis that we were seeing was the stress getting placed on kids and the stress getting placed on parents to keep raising the bar no matter what. And we didn't necessarily know it was unhealthy at first. We we're kind of like, no, that's just the way it is. Like, hey, it sucks, but it's the way that it is. Everyone's going to do it. Everyone's going through it. We kind of said, it doesn't matter if it sucks. You just keep going, right? That's a, in it. That's a, now that can be a healthy mindset, but, it does, but sometimes you should question like, hey, this sucks. Do I have to keep doing it? I remember <laughs> in one of the nights, my daughter's like, she's like, hey, in, at class, I got an award. She like won a pass for like no homework one day, right? She could use it any time that year for, she could turn it in and not have to do the homework assignment. And she's like, Hey, I really don't want to read tonight. I'll just use my pass that I earned. And we're like, no, you can't use that pass. And she's crying. She's like crying because there's just one night where she would just like to not read for 30 minutes. And as clean and I were going to bed, we were looking at each other and we're like, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with this? Like there's something wrong, right? With this. So that was, that was one of the moments where we started to question what was going on. 
and really it was just starting to plant, plant a seed of, man, this just doesn't feel right anymore. It doesn't feel right anymore. There's so much pressure. What about the idea of, do they want second graders to read books that are written for seventh graders? Right? Like that's, that's different content. Like what a seventh grader is learning about with, totally. I don't know, boys and social stuff. Their stories are different than what a second grader should read about. And so, so there's a, there was a little bit of a problem there. And then, you know, the guy that was the vice principal at, at our school, a great friend of mine, Matt Boudreaux, he was leaving and Kalina went to go have lunch with him and say, Hey, why aren't you going to be the vice principal anymore? And he planted a bunch of seeds for, and he said, you know what? My kids are almost school age and I can't have them go into this school. I need to go create a better school for them. Yeah. That's better. And he, and he told her to read a bunch of books and those books started to go into all sorts of different things. The history of school. Why was school created? Right. You know, school was created to make really good factory workers and there's nothing wrong with being a factory worker, but it was set up so people could go work in like the Ford plants and the GM. So that's like why the bell would ring in between periods, you know, why they would make sure that you're sitting there and following structure. And they really wanted to help train people to go be good workers. Not to be good thinkers, not to be entrepreneurs, not to go. It wasn't about going and finding the career that you want. And so, and it's been like that for a hundred years. Nothing had really changed, you know, since they started doing it that way. So we started thinking about the history of school and, and realizing how school is a relatively new thing because it used to be kids would work, would go to school in a schoolhouse and all ages would work together, you know, and, and more like a normal, normal lifestyle. It was also... You know, so then one of them was like free to, you know, free to learn and other, and some other ones where people learn about playing. And we started to learn a lot about the ideas of, you know, kids learn a lot just by living, just by playing, just by interacting with other people. And then people would say like, well, what about socialization? You know, what are you worried about your kid? And what I learned, you know, by graduating from high school with the same 20 kids I went to preschool with is I'd never learned how to meet people. I never totally. had to. I knew, and when I went to college, I realized I didn't know how to meet people at all. So I was in a normal school setting and I had horrible social skills and it's what got me in a lot of trouble. Sure. Right. I would not have been going to prison if I'd have, if I'd have been good at making friends and I'd have been confident with people. So let me ask you something real quick. I got to, I want to back you up real quick. So, so a lot of, a lot of people who are in that programmed traditional mindset schools, you know, you get to five years old, you get to kindergarten, you go to school, you go to school, you go to school, you got to do all the work, you got to keep up with the Joneses. Were you and Kalina afraid of what it would look like if your kids fell behind? Were you afraid of who you'd be and if you'd be bad parents because this is what society says? And were you afraid of just being judged as those parents with a kid that isn't, doesn't have an over 4.0 GPA? You're afraid of all of it. I mean, yeah. you're afraid of what the teachers will say. You're afraid of what sure. the kids would say. You're afraid that you're going to let your kid down. Yeah. Right. Like sometimes you're like, she's going to thank me someday. Like when she gets into Harvard, she's <laughs> going to thank me for pushing her when she was five, you know, but then there's we can this miss belief out on too. so much. Like yes. We miss out on there's, so much. What people need to know right now, especially so many parents are being forced to be the teacher right now through distance learning. Yeah. The biggest thing I want to tell them is your relationship with your kid is the most important. You know, when the, when the teachers were making us like be the, the, the driver at home and make people, you know, and where you're making them do the homework and you become the teacher it's like this contra it's like this, you know, your relationship where you're fighting, you're saying, no, you need to do this. No, you need to do this. When really like the, you risk your relationship with your kid when you have to be the one that, that continues to push and push and push. So we were worried about all that stuff. That's what kept us going. And so even when we would see new things, we would just start to question it a little bit and a little bit. And then we kept saying, but there isn't really a way to get around it. We went to, we needed a break though. We had had like this time where we were working, the kids were going to school and life was good. We were financially doing fine again. My businesses were growing. I was traveling a lot. 
and the, we decided to take a break, go to Yosemite. We had booked this thing. A friend of ours, uh, Tommy, he had like a year prior was like, hey, let's do this. Let's go together. We went to Yosemite. We were planning on doing, it was during a school week. We were going to do homework while we were there. Do it. We came back. We got there. There was no phones, no internet. Just wasn't any phone service. Wasn't any internet service at the cabin we were staying at. We didn't know that. And my daughter forgot her homework. <laughs> so there's a little bit of panic at first. And then we just spend the week enjoying the family and enjoying nature. And we're going on hikes and we're learning from rangers and we're learning about glaciation, like hands-on stuff. We're like meeting like these artists that do special, like, so they're learning about all sorts of fun stuff in life. They're loving it. We're doing bike rides and all these family activities together without doing any school. And so that's the idea of almost like unschooling or anything. Like we learned a ton of stuff. They learned a ton of stuff without there being any formal curriculum. And just by trying to learn a little bit, we got end of that week was that week was great. And then we start driving back, just back home. And then the panic starts to set in like for my daughter, like, Oh, I got, I got school tomorrow. I got school tomorrow. What about my homework? We get to the house and she's starting to cry. Like, what about all my homework that I missed? It's going to be such a big deal. And I said, let's just try to see if we can do it. We sat down and in two hours we did her whole week or two worth of homework. And it was just about focus. Like I used to get on stage and teach people about the four hour work week, teach people about focus and eliminating distractions and how you can get an eight hour work, work day done in one day. So four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, lots of cool products in there. And I used to teach people about that. I used to teach people how to run their businesses like that. You know, at one of the times when I was rebuilding my business, that was my trick because I had to be the guy running the business and the guy's hammer, right? How did I do it all? Um, so we focused, we got it done. I had to teach her long division in that time. And after that two hours, all of a sudden we're like, whoa, we got our two weeks of homework done. This was kind of cool. She goes to school the next day. I drop her off and she's happy. She's confident instead of being stressed about not being there. She's like, hey, we had an awesome week as a family. I got my homework done. I remember we went to pick her up that day and I was like, hey, how was it? And she goes, dad, you're never going to believe this. I'm the only one that knows how to do long division. They didn't even get to it while we were gone. So like the school said, we're going to do this over the next two weeks. While we're in Yosemite, they didn't get that stuff done. Maddie and I got it done in the two hours before she went back. And that's where it clicked like, holy cow, two weeks of learning done in two hours. So the, that was this big like thing. So over the next like six months, a week out of every month, we'd pull them out of school because I was traveling for work and they would just come with me. And we went out to Miami and we'd do the same thing. We'd leave the homework at home. Kalina would take the girls out and they're going to alligator farms and they're going on all these tours while I'm at my business meetings. They're like learning hands-on at like a bunch of things in Florida. And then we flew up to Philadelphia and we did some things up in Philadelphia. And like, that's an awesome historical place where you can learn about all sorts of stuff. And and then we'd go back and we'd do the homework on Sunday night and they'd go back to school. So we did that for you know, a week, a month for the next like six months. People started to inspire us with a lot of different things. Uh, one of those talks we saw, we were like two or three months into our experiment. And at that time, we had no intention of leaving school. We were just trying to hack the system. We still wanted to get the degree. We still wanted to have like the certification. Yeah. We were still afraid of what all that looks like. But we wanted to be able to do like our little hack where we get, a little, we get both worlds. We get, the, we get the, the, that, but we also get to live a little bit. Uh, Jim Shields was speaking at one of the events. And he, and he had this thing called the education matrix and he was a, a homeschooler and you know, he's a great guy, has a couple different books out there. And one of the questions he asked us is, is he said, think about the toughest things you've ever been through in your life. You know, I'm thinking about my business crashing, thinking about prison, thinking about putting my relationship back together, thinking about going broke again and being even more embarrassed this time. Cause this was like 10 years after my first two screw ups. Like, why did I lose all my money again? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and, and he goes, now, what did you learn in school that helped you get through those crises? So right now for listeners, think about that. 
what are the biggest things you ever went through, the toughest things you ever had to go through, and did school teach you to get through that? And my big answer was no. There was not a skill that school taught me that helped me get through that. So Jim, Jim showed us this idea of his education matrix of the things that you really need to learn in life. Now, some of that thing was like healthy decision-making, you know, healthy friendships, you know, the power of money, you know, how credit cards work. There's all sorts of like things that they don't teach you that you ended up needing. And so that's, then we started creating our own curriculum and saying, all right, so now they're going to keep learning what's in school, but there's also this other stuff that we're going to make sure that we learn while we continue to do experiences over things, you know, my, my dad had died early. We almost lost our relationship a couple times. Like now it's all about having good memories because even if you go broke again, no we'll at least have those memories. Yeah. And we got it. So the next year we go to start the school year again. Um, after just an awesome summer, we traveled all over, you know, we flew into Chicago. We did this like three or three, you know, probably like four week road trip. And this is what you have all this sort of like fun homeschooling. This is with four kids. Yeah. yeah four kids. Okay. And, a, and then one of them's a baby. Brax we really baby. started when Brax, when Brax was one. Yeah. Yeah. Brax was one when we started this like whole travel world school, like do it all while we're still going to school. They went back to school for that first month or two. And that was really tough. Uh, Kalina got, they asked her to be like the president of the, you know, the parent PCA. student yeah. body, do all the fundraisers. She said, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, cause, and, cause she was like, well, you know what, if we're going to be there, I might as well try to make it as good as I can. We were like a couple months into that school year and I could see it just killing them because now by then we all knew there was a better way. They were still going through and, and, you know, having the experiences and we were feeling like, Hey, this is inefficient. They're not learning what they should be. Now, some of you guys out there say, Hey, my kid needs to go to school because I have a job. They have to go somewhere and you can, and, and, and I don't knock that at all. It's really like for us, there was an expectation of, you know, if, if it's what works for people, it's just knowing like, hey, they're really only learning for an hour or two a day out of that eight hours. So if it's about experiences, if it's about football games and prom, send them to school. If it's about education, there's ways that you can educate them in a much shorter amount of time and live a bigger life as a family. We wanted more family time with each other. We didn't want our kids, I would, we would drop them off at school and they'd be happy and we'd pick them up and they'd be sad and tired and cranky. So at night, they'd be cranky little kids. Yeah. Or we'd be rushing around in the we were getting the, we said we were getting the worst of our kids and the school was getting the best. By the time we got into school, they were in a good mood. Yep. We'd pick them up. They were sugar low, tired and in a bad mood. So come November, I saw it was really wearing on everybody again. And I just scheduled, I scheduled like a, a, a two, two week trip. He said, Hey, I, I scheduled this, this two week trip. I think it was probably to Hawaii. He said, Hey, we're going to Hawaii yep. for the next, for this, the last two weeks, in November. We're just going. And, and my wife's like, I can't believe you booked them. I'm like, no, cause I knew they needed a break from all of it. And it was just like forcing it. And then when November hit, she went to parent teacher conferences the, you know, the first day of November. And she kind of realized they were only going to be at school like four days during that month. And we were still paying for it. So she was really questioning it at that time. And she went into parent teacher conferences and the, and, and she was like, you know, she was praying about it saying, let me see if we're supposed to stay or not. And the first teacher she went to said, you know, Maddie's, Maddie's doing a really good job. She's really good and good at this, but we can't take our foot off the gas. She needs to do even better, you know? Yeah. And that was the example where we gave, where she was already reading at a level like five years ahead. And they said, but she needs to do even better. And she's, she's like, she, she even said something like, she's like the best in my class, but she needs to do even better. You're yeah. like, what is better than that? Right. What is better than the kid? That's awesome. And so Kalina was like, you know what? This isn't for us anymore. We're not coming back. And then she went and told some of the other teachers and the other teacher, what we were doing, and they were like, you know, we've been seeing you guys on all your trips. And if we could do that, we would do that too. 
Yeah. We like the other teachers were like, we can't blame you. We love you. Do good. So it was the straw. So there was a lot of different straws in there that happened. But the last one was like when we had already been questioned, we had found a better way and it just got, you know, she's like, show me a sign, right? God, show me yeah. a sign. And it wasn't like, Hey, you're going the wrong way. It was just that reminder of no matter what, it's not good enough. And we wanted our kids to know that that's not true. We didn't want them to have the mindset that no matter what they need to raise the bar, no matter what, it's not good enough, no matter what they need to keep pushing harder. And we wanted to be able to start creating that own experience with, our, with them ourselves. Think about what that, you already know this, but I'm telling the audience, like, think about that, what that does to a kid. And all we're doing here on this podcast is just opening you up to explore some other way. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong or good or bad. It works for Aaron. It's going to work for me. I'm following Aaron's lead. But like, think about the, the best, and I have it literally. Here's Aaron's book, Five Hour School Week. See that? page 150. <laughs> nice. Really red, man. I'm so, I'm like, I'm my own. Dude, it's I'm my a, it own is judge. a passion project, man. I'm, I, Dude, I'm glad that you love it. I'm telling you right now, I, I don't, I don't like to read. I get very bored. I get very tired if I read at night. I, I, I don't know Kalina as well as I know you, but I, I just am, it's like she's talking to me and my eyes are just on a page, right? It's an easy read mm -hmm. and, it, and no, no joke. Like I like, I love the book. I absolutely love the book, but the best line that really, again, it got me, it got me very anxious because I thought about that and I thought about a lot of stuff, a depth of information that comes from this line, which is this, like you said, the school is getting the best of my kids. By the time they come out of this eight hour day where they're constantly pushed to do better, be better, but it's not real world. It's all hypothetical BS that they technically don't need unless they want to be a professional, a doctor, a lawyer, something that's going to take schooling. And then they come home and they're, they're drained. Their attitudes are different. Their, their personality is just different. It's shifted. Then you've got to scramble to get dinner, more homework, more stuff. When do you ever get your kid? Because I, I know for a fact from reading your book and knowing you, like your kids are completely different in school and out of school. When you took them on those trips, you got your children, not the the, you know, the, the, the sit in line, Not the leftovers. Right. Right. And, and I, and that really spoke to me and I wonder trajectory wise, like obviously what's happened has happened in our past, but I wonder what would be if my parents who were both entrepreneurs, um, like if, if I wasn't angry and scared and I felt so disconnected from reality, I saw all these I felt like all these other kids can do this. Like, why? What's wrong with me? And I remember that in first grade. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why can't I figure out this math problem? Why can't I read it as fast as those kids? And then they told me that it, I wasn't good enough in the, in the little conferences with my parents. And then my parents, no fault of theirs, they were just doing what society says and what they felt to kind of, I guess, just keep the cycle rolling. They pushed me and got me tutors and got me this and you know, I swam competitively for, for my whole life. And so it was school and swimming and working out and eating right and doing this and meets on the weekend. And I almost wonder what life could have been like if my parents were like, enough, enough, enough. We're stopping all this. You're going to be an entrepreneur. We know it. You're coming from a six generations of entrepreneurs. School's not for you. We get it. What would life have been like and I'm saying this in hypothetical, but I'm challenging those listeners out there, just like you challenge yourself and your family. What would life be like if we actually stepped out and did this? Now, obviously, if you have a job, 
it's going to be a lot more difficult, challenging, still can happen. But if you're an entrepreneur and you have the time and, and the resources to be able to do it, what would that be like? Because I see so many of my friends' kids, they are, it, it's all it is. It's this cycle of just school and projects and stuff and weekend activities and all day Saturday and all day Sunday and maybe we can make time for you in two months and then bam, a break. Let's cram everything into this break plus your homework. Plus. It's, it's, it's frantic. What does that do to a kid? I know what it did to my nervous system and I had to work very hard to get out of that. I don't want that for my kids. I don't. And reading your book, no joke, like it'll, it, it, it allowed me to be okay with that, like really own that. And I, and I, I went out and I said to my wife, you know, we had this idea. We never were planning to send her to school. Now I know for a fact, this is how we live our life already. We travel all the time. We run our businesses from our computers. We're doing this. And we've got Aaron and Kalina at a, at a, at a text away if we need them, if we run into some kind of crazy trouble, like we can text them and we can figure this thing out. So dude, this is, um, this is powerful, man. Like you don't, I don't know if you realize how powerful what you guys did, you know, making those decisions and, and those choices, like it's powerful. And you've impacted generations of people because of the risks that you took. So kudos to you, my friend. Well, <laughs> well thank you. Those are obviously really, really big words. And my wife and I are both super humble and excited. When we yeah. first released the book, it was, we said, if there's one family when we started this, we didn't know there were other options. There were some books out there, but we didn't know there were other options for like, for normal people to really just question the way that it was. We were like, if we can encourage one family just to question the way that it is enough to make their lives a little bit better, which that could just be people are going to keep going to school in a few days a month, they're going to play hooky and go have experience with their, with their kids. Because for some people, that seems ludicrous. Just taking two days off a month to just, you know, just go, go play with your kids instead on a school day and play hooky. Like that could be what it gets to. But I just want, we just wanted to challenge. We said if one family would do it, now Kalina gets, I mean, if, if you guys are on Instagram, you got to go find five-hour school week on Instagram. She gets hundreds of people a day that reach out to her and are asking her for advice and help and interaction. And she just wants to be everybody's biggest fan in this process. And another unique thing of COVID right now is there's never been a more socially acceptable time to like be a parent while you're working, totally. to be able to be involved in your kid's education, to be able to go for a walk at 11 a.m. in the morning with them at, around your house, you know, before you guys come back. Like life is more flexible now than it's ever been. And I would encourage you guys to don't waste this crisis. Like if there's something here that you're thinking about changing, you're thinking about doing something with your family and putting that a little bit higher up on the, on the list, now's the time because you can get away with it more. Totally. And you can see that you know, there are so many different ways to educate, right? There's, there is, you know, distance learning, which is a lot of what people are doing now, but that's just taking what's at school and bringing it home, you know? And so there was like, like distance learning, there's unschooling, you know, there's, there's, there's places that you can send your kids where it's, it's all different kids of different ages playing together and, and interacting. Like there's so many different versions. There's nature schools. There's, there's, there's so many things out there yeah. that it really is up to the parents to go, Hey, just knowing like, Hey, there's another way and you can create your own way, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And, and just encouraging people to think about that. Like what would make us the happiest? Everyone's happy is different. What would make totally. everyone the happiest is different. But I would encourage people, if you aren't super happy, 
find a way to become super happy. Yeah, dude. I mean, it, it, I guess it's, I guess it's probably that it's that inherent fear of being an outcast, right? Like you have a natural fear of falling or loud noises, but there is a big fear of not fitting in. And when you're the person that pulls their kid out to homeschool in quotes, you're the weird family. You're the, this, your kid's going to be weird. Your kid's not going to have the social, but I mean, what you guys explain in that book about the socialization, when you think like, well, your, your kids have this set of friends and you talk about when Maddie had two friends over and those friends weren't talking, but the, and Kalina said to the mom, well, I mean, this is, is this a problem? Like, can we, how we, how do we solve this? And she was like, yeah, well, listen, there's nothing they can do. They have to be friends. They're in the same grade. They're in the same class. What are they going to do? Yeah. Not talk to each other. And then you just taught that kid that they have to accept whatever abuse they're, they're taking on because they don't have any options. And exponentially, we don't have the data to support. Like Aaron and I don't have that level of deep data, 30 years, 40 years. But what does that do to a kid psychologically? You know? And what could it do if you freed them from that anxiety or that stress or that fear that they feel every day because they don't feel like they fit in or they have to be friends with this person? It's just, it's very interesting. And they do, there's, 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 um, what is it? Uh, free to learn, right? There's communities out there that, that Meredith and I have researched where there's tons of people doing this now, especially in the entrepreneurial community where their kids are of all ages just play on a playground. My daughter's at a, at a nature school and we love this school. Absolutely love this school. She plays with two-year-olds and six-year-olds and she gets to run around and explore the world and they do the things on their terms and they have little activities, but they're fun. I think it's the only way to learn. It's just it, you know, yeah. it's it. for us. I love that you, t I love that you kept that story out. I think you got that story out of that where it's in school. It's, it's forced association does not mean socialization. Like, no. so in school, you have to be friends with the person you're sitting next to. If they pull your hair, if they kick you, if they're hard, you kind of just, the teacher will say, get over it. Right. Like yeah. you're sitting next to him. The, and that's not how life is. Well, like they my closest you friends in the real world, right? This is what the real yeah. world is like, but that's not it. No, if you're at a workplace, maybe kind of, but still we teach our kids like you want to be able to, you only want to hang out with people that are going to raise you up. You're going to hang totally. out with good people that are going to make you feel good about yourself. If somebody makes you feel bad about yourself, you don't have to. My closest friends live all over the U.S., Mm -hmm. I get to catch up with them a couple times a year in person at different events and things, but it's mostly video calls like this or chats or other things like, and now that's the same with my, with my kids, their closest friends. Some of them live in the neighborhood, but others don't live in the neighborhood. Others are on video and zoom and they see them a couple times a year at events that they go to there. And, you know, we met some new friends in a couple different places and, and my daughters hung out with them and they said, you know what? It was like new neighbors. And they're like, I don't really want to be friends with them when, when she comes over. She's not very nice. You know, she says things that I don't like. She doesn't make me feel good about myself. Sure. And so we get to go, okay, that person doesn't need to be your friend anymore. How healthy is that? I remember so many friendships I thought I had to have. And the, so yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different ways to learn, all sorts of different ways. When people say like, aren't you worried that your kids are going to turn out weird? Aren't you worried they're not going to have a normal social experience? <laughs> and I would say yeah. the schooling social experience is not actually normal. It's not no. actually real life. The, you know, the friends I have aren't the ones that I'm not friends with my neighbors. I don't hang out with my neighbors every day. <laughs> me neither. You know, I hang out with, I'm friends with other people that, that make me feel good, that have similar interests that I do. Dude, it's so right. Oh my gosh. This is, this is the, this is the really important part is to, is to, associate and be friends with people like Aaron and I are like Aaron and I don't talk every day but when I needed a connection to somebody 
I reached out and two seconds later, I had the connection to somebody very high level because those are the circles that Aaron plays in. So I think the challenge to all of, to all of you listening is who are your friend group? It's not the, it's not this like little stereotype or adage of like, Oh yeah, the, you know, you're, you're the same as the, or you're equivalent to the five closest people to you. That's real. And, and you're right. You don't have to be friends with your neighbors. I, I live in a community 800 houses here. I don't really know anybody except for the people I sold houses to here, but my next door neighbor, neighbors across the street, I don't know them. I wave to them. I'm cordial, but it's not like, Hey, come over for a barbecue. Cause I don't, they're, they're not running in the same things that I like to do. And it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with just mindset and the things that we're doing in life. So one thing, one more thing before I let you go, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about the power of, of saying yes and curiosity. And so this is how Aaron and I run back into each other in, in, you know, few years, few years, uh, down the road is I was hosting this little tiny podcast. And by the way, Aaron's podcast, and I'll, and we're going to talk to Pat Hyben too, who used to own the build this podcast. Um, I used to host this little tiny podcast for a mastermind and that, because I was curious and I just wanted to understand how to speak on the mic and how to facilitate conversations and then. Um, I had Pat Hyben on and the next morning I said, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to ask him if I can learn from him. Texted him. He said, of course, come on. I came on and he said, why don't you host by yourself? Bam. And that was it. And that was real estate rock stars. And that's how I really got my, my huge level up. Because when you take over the mic of a podcast that has 150,000 downloads a month, that's no joke. You cannot play. You've got to be practiced. You've got to be curious about your guests. And so then all of a sudden you fast forward and like just saying yes to an opportunity, asking for an opportunity and being curious about how something works got me to that podcast, got me a great relationship with Pat. And then all of a sudden Aaron comes back into the picture because he's taking over the podcast. But I mean, personally, like that's awesome. Like how cool is that? It was, it was so funny, man, because when, when I talked to Pat about taking over and the, and I was trying to figure out the ins and the outs of it. And, and at that time I wasn't sure I was going to be hosting, right? Right. It was like, we just knew that we loved the podcast and reached out and he goes, well, Hey, there's this other guy that's been helping out a lot. You should talk to him. His name is Ian Lobus. And the, and it was, and that was a a, a hilarious moment. Right. And it, and it was, it's like, yes, I know Ian. Like, yes, like yeah. Ian was actually the first, like I've known, a, now I'm, I'm super involved in GoBundance now. I know a lot of right. friends through there. I've helped a lot of people there. But Ian's the first guy I met at GoBundance years ago. And over the past, you know, five, seven years, we've, we've just bumped into each other, period. We've had all these different times where it overlaps at different events, at different things. So it was, it was very funny to see that. Um, and still have you, you know, host some of our shows as you came to come launch this podcast. And really yeah. it was, it was, it's really cool that by first it was like, you got to interview Pat and then you asked mm-hmm. Pat for a little bit of help. And then Pat put you, you know, said, yeah, come help, help host my show. And you hosted a bunch of episodes of the real estate rock stars. You got to do so much with that. And it really gave you like the clout and experience that you needed to come launch men on purpose. And the right. Cause now you're like, Hey, you don't, you don't need to be a part of someone else's podcast. You needed sure. to launch your own for what was the most important to you. And now you're doing it. And, and I think what you, what you're, what you're building here and growing is super awesome. You know, I heard of the, the name of your podcast and what you're trying to do with it. The, it is super, super cool. I'm honored to get to be on here because I definitely think of myself when it's like men on purpose, like I definitely want to, that's my that's goal, you, right? Like that's, yep. that's who I want to be. That's what I want my brand to be. I've got lots of businesses and lots of things, but that's what I really want more than anything. And so I think that's super cool. That's become your purpose. 
Totally. Now let's watch this, watch this tie in. You ready? All this, all of this went down because we put our fears aside, walked up to somebody new and just said, Hey, literally like, that's it. That's how I met Aaron. That's how all this stuff takes place. That's how I'm adopting this new philosophy to my kids schooling. That's how I got into podcasting from that group and just meeting Aaron. Like all it takes is for you just to know that that person probably is as scared and has the same fears that you do. And if you just be like, Hey, what's up, man? Hey, you here for the event? Oh, cool. Yeah. And we just started talking. We talked for a couple hours and I don't drink coffee, but I drank coffee with you and I got all jacked up. And so I was up till probably 2 a.m. Just thinking about all the things that are possible when you're just curious about what someone else is doing and how you can, I mean, dude, I loved being the, the low guy at that event because I knew that everybody there would, could teach me something great. And it was just fantastic. So dude, look, it's been phenomenal having you on. It's a real honor and pleasure for me and this audience to just to hear you. And I could talk to you for three or four hours, man, just your knowledge, your wisdom, your humbleness, your, your authenticity is just there. And I, and I believe that you are definitely a man on purpose. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank, thanks for letting me on. You know, my closing stuff would just be the, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I'm super excited for you and your wife and for what you're doing thanks, next. Man. Thank you so much for the, the shout outs on the show and for people listening, right? Like I went to that first mastermind, super skeptical, skeptical, super worried, but knowing I kind of needed something different. And then, totally. you know, when Ian and I first reached out to us, both of us just being like super like uncomfortable, not knowing anybody, <laughs> but just kind of being like, Hey, <laughs> right. And starting that. Right. And then when it comes down, when we first got there, we were, the, we were like the lowest people on the totem pole with the most to learn. Right. And we've both, both have built giant businesses since then. And I give so much of the credit to just attending that first mastermind. Cause that was the first time of like totally. opening up and trying a little harder. Remember I had to fix 20 years of being socialized the wrong way. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah. so that was helping, you know, that was, you know, updating that. So thanks for having me on here, man. The, uh, you know, your, your listeners are lucky and uh, I love what you're doing. Thanks, man. So listen, everybody, thank you so much for listening. The, the book, Aaron's book, the five hour school week. Again, it, it's not the intention to plug Aaron's book. You need to know about Aaron's book. If you want to know about a real purposeful man and, and really there's a purposeful, a very purposeful woman behind this book yeah. and Aaron's, Aaron's just a tagger along her. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. She was the smart so, one. Yeah, the, I try to make the dreams come true, but she makes the good decisions. Right. So look, if you are, are if you want to explore that, if you want to understand the power of masterminds, if you're in real estate and you want to listen to what I feel is the best real estate podcast out there, and, and I might be a little partial, but that's Real Estate Rockstars, Aaron's podcast. It's huge. It's got, dude, are you at a thousand episodes? No, you're way over that, right? The, we're probably right around a thousand because we have numbered episodes, but we also have, you know, we call them the state of the market, which aren't of the numbered right. episodes. It's probably right around a thousand right now. So look at the end of the day, if you want to start your own podcast, just ask somebody like Aaron or I, if you can just come and learn, if you want to buy your own podcast, guess what? Aaron and I did. And it's not common. Go Google buying a podcast. It's not out there. We did it and we're successful with it. Just have to be curious and ask a question of somebody who you feel can give you a great answer, who's maybe a couple steps ahead of you. So I want to thank Aaron. I want to thank his wife, Kalina. She's not even on here for, for just being a model of parents and, 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 and married couple and business owners and just as purposeful as it, as it can be with a family and a business and living a life on purpose. 
free to choose without regrets. That's my mission in life too. Um, all of Aaron's stuff's going to be on our, uh, um, oh my God, the show notes and the show go notes. Ian, yep. Go to ianloboss.com. You can check everything out about Aaron and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Thank you for having me on, man. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the Men on Purpose podcast, where our mission is to educate, elevate, and activate every man to truly live their best, most fulfilling life possible. To find out more about the podcast, our guests, or becoming a man on purpose, visit menonpurposepodcast.com and choose your most purposeful path forward.